0: Sean Com Podcast, Com, C-O-M, the root word for together or in common.
1: I didn't know that. Yes, sir. Okay, I knew in common, but okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, together or common. And I use that root word as a springboard to talk about things I'm deeply passionate about, which is communication, community building, and how those two things, when you bring them together. Bring stronger companies, right. whether that's the company that you're building, like a business, or the company that you keep, like a person right across from the table. So, I like that. Uh, today, I am excited to introduce some people or and, and help other people get to know a very very important person in uh, the Tyler East Texas local community Uh, somebody who is a uh, fantastic speaker uh, an author I've been fortunate enough to hear you speak before Uh, Mr. Kim Fett hey
1: Aaron it's good to be on the show
0: it's good to have you so uh Kim you're an author you're a speaker a preacher um You've got a lot of different uh, hats that you wear on a regular basis. If you were to introduce yourself to somebody,
1: uh, what would you say? Well, my elevator elevator speech is Love you, know, you got to have one of those. Love it. Is I am, I have a passion for making an impact. My primary way of making an impact right now is through the church that I pastor, which I've pastored for 33 years. But I also like to impact people's lives through public speaking and coaching and writing. So I like to impact lives. Wonderful. You're doing it already, I would say. (laughs) Good. Uh, So,
0: um, Kim, uh, how do I want to start this? Because I want to, before we jump into what I call the three C's, the communication community company, I like to give a little bit more context and just get to know your background a little bit. So, because, you know, we're we're seeing you now, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's been a journey.
1: It has been a journey.
0: So, could you give us some insight on like that journey a little bit? How long you've been uh, a pastor for?
1: This year, actually, this month celebrates 43 years of being a pastor. Wow! I was 10 years in a small town outside of Denton called Pilot Point. I got to start and uh, lead a church there, and then about 33 years ago, the Central Baptist Church of Tyler invited me to be their pastor, and it was a great honor. It's been one of the great joys of my life, and so I've been a pastor for 43 years. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's a long time. It's a lifetime. I've actually been uh, uh the pastor of this church now the same amount of years that I was alive before I became it because I was 33 when I took that church. So now I so I've been pastor of the church 33 years as long as I've been alive. Uh so wow. a long time.
0: Wow. so has 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 uh being a pastor always been your vocation?
1: Uh, Yes, I was fortunate. I think one of the keys to success is a long obedience in the same direction. And Mm. I think if you can figure out what you want to do, I know that's not always easy for people, but I believe in one of the things I teach in my training classes is successful careers usually have to have a good shelf life. And maybe that might be 30 to 40 years, the best careers, because you have to have time. You have to have time to try and fail and regroup and go on so I was fortunate enough to uh, decide and feel a calling to do what I wanted to do when I was in high school so I was able to go right out of high school straight into the training for the ministry straight into my first church at 19 uh, excuse me my first church job at 19 mm-hmm. my first pastorate at 23 Wow yeah so that that's really a little young but it's been uh, it's been a great opportunity for me because it's I'm only in my mid 60s and I already have Forty-three years experience.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about obedience for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, it's fun. It's fun. That's a that's a real powerful quote. I really enjoy that. Uh, what sparked you? What, what sparked that interest? What what was that moment of realization that you had a, a calling on your life to to lead others in the way that you do?
1: Well, um, as far as the ministry aspect, of course, it. it I am a man of faith, and it co- it flows from my relationship with Jesus Christ. I was came to that as a teenager and then grew up in the church from there. And we were on a trip to uh, foreign mission work in Mexico and that's when I felt the real drawing of God that I should give my life to uh, Christian service. I had actually planned, I was hoping and was working on trying to get into the Air Force Academy. I wanted to fly jets and I was even, you know, I was working, I was fortunate to have a high school teacher who was trying to help me get all my stuff together and my grades were pretty good but we were even going as far as to try to get the local congressman to write me my letter, you know, because you have to have one. And then that summer, Um, I just felt like, no, that's not what God would have you do with your life. He wants you to uh, spend it serving people in the world of the church, and that's what I did
0: amazing um I've some background in, in the ch- well I grew up in a church grew okay. up in a small Methodist church uh, Edgewood I don't know if you've heard of yeah, it, a small yeah, town sure. Edgewood yeah. and then uh, I did have uh, a stint in, in youth pastorship oh, so well, so you know uh,
1: what I'm talking about yeah,
0: I, I do know what you're talking yeah. about and I was relatively young mm-hmm. um I was 20 uh ish somewhere mm-hmm. around there when I felt that I felt that calling you're she-
1: still relatively young right? yeah well you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh it, it you know it, it feel, like you said, it feels like a lifetime mm-hmm. it feels like a lifetime in ten years sometimes of just like wow like i I thought I knew some stuff yeah. back when I was the younger twenties, and uh looking back it it 's like wow it it was such a formative sure time, yeah. you know, and um i'm really uh thankful for the opportunity to be able to lead youth in that way yeah. because it taught me a lot mm-hmm. more than I ever think i ever taught those
1: you know oh, yeah, those yeah. kids you know you know we always have a saying in in teachers you know no one learns more than the teacher because you've yeah. got to prepare and yeah. so whatever you're trying to teach you usually learn more of if you're diligent but i'll tell you how i got into this other stuff from the church um the The Church, of course, has been my passion and and if any of our church members are get a chance to see this i i hope I think they know that it's been the greatest honor of my life to be their pastor and, and they have been so good to me, and it's just a passion I'm just so blessed to do it but about oh i would say about 15 years ago after being in ministry twenty five five plus years i realized that i needed to get outside the walls of the church because our 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 particular group was kind of you know a little more isolated mm-hmm. and so i decided to um Volunteer, And I started volunteering. And I went to PATH. And that was my first volunteer experience. Had a great experience at PATH. I served as a caseworker. And they let me do that. And then I um, thought, well, I could do more than this. And I was giving it one morning a week. And I was enjoying it. Uh, but so, my son-in-law and daughter were working at Azoa Children's Home. Mm-hmm. And so they asked me, I said, you know, I think I could do more than I'm doing. And they said, why don't you talk to the director out there, which I don't know if you ever met Bill Partridge, but he yeah. is the founder and director of the Asaway Children's Home. So I went to lunch with uh, Bill, and he's a great guy. And I told him my interest, and he said, well, what can you do? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I've I've been a pastor for all these years, and he said, well, can you ask for money? And I said, well, I do it every Sunday. (laughs) He said, well, we could use some help in the development department. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in helping us with that? And I said, I'd love to do that. So I got involved with uh, professional development for nonprofits, which is a whole other world than church fundraising. It was very different. It was, it was quite a learning curve for me, and that gave me an opportunity to meet. I started trying to write some grants for them, and that introduced me to one of my mentors and friends Dawn Franks. I don't know if you know Dawn, mm-hmm. but she has the um, your philanthropy which is a uh, business that is involved in philanthropy she's created but she at the time was a um, grant officer for Fourth Partner Foundation. Mm-hmm. So I met her, got to know her and she found out I like to read. And so she said, uh, "Would you, you know, we have a book club that meets once a month. Would you be interested in joining the book club?" I said, absolutely I love reading. That's one another one of my great. Um, Things I believe readers are leaders. I, I read at least ten books a year. Mm-hmm. Everybody should read all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of it now is audio books. But I'm just yeah <laughs> yeah. So uh, they had a book club and I joined. And I don't know if you've ever met Cindy Klein, but Cindy Klein at the time she was a member of the book club and she was at the time the executive director of Leadership Tyler. Okay. And so uh, we got of course got to know each other. And she said, "You need to do Leadership Tyler," and I said, "I would love to do." Leadership Tyler. So I applied, and I was fortunate enough to get accepted, and I did that class, in class 20. That'll tell you how long ago it was. Best uh, class ever, yeah, right? Yeah, that's I've the best seen. class. And you, look, 2020 is perfect vision, so it's the perfect class, right? Okay. 20 20. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that, but I had such a learning experience. I learned so much about leadership. It's a great program. I would encourage anybody to go through Leadership, Tyler. It really taught me a lot, and it built a lot of networking, and I learned so much. About how this city works, and about how people work in community, and that really lit a fire into me. And I thought I need to be more involved. So when I came out of that, I did different things, but I was privileged to get to go on the board of leadership Tyler for six years, and then ended up on the Chamber of Commerce, and then in the UT Board of Ethics and different things. And but it all. Some of the leadership training sparked my interest, and I thought, I can do that. I think I can do that. I think I can do some work in coaching and training and leadership, and that's what started me down the path I'm on now.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. I love that context uh, because you know I didn't know too much about professional development or yeah, personal yeah. development. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought a lot of that personal growth, and I think it's a great place to start uh, uh, when when you're getting a lot of your personal growth and introspection and development out of the Bible or right. you know a uh, 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 faith, a right. life of faith. Right. Um, it's it's such a great, powerful cornerstone. It is. Um, but but there is this whole other place. Yes, there is. There's a whole other realm of personal uh, development and growth that you can embark upon. And um, I, I think we our, our paths cross in, in that quite a bit because, you know, I, I started reading a lot more when I was teaching a lot more and mm-hmm. uh, kids about, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus and the Bible. Mm-hmm. In biblical principles, and then that taught me how to read and study. Right, and then I started to broaden. Right, and that started to really just it, it, its a snowball effect. Right, and then you can—you can—it's amazing to me how much personal development and uh, you, you, all those self-help, of, you know, that whole aisle, right? Right, uh, in the in the in the library or in the uh, in the bookstore, um, so much of those principles are in the bible.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, you're, you're talking my talk now. I know. <laughs> uh, absolutely true. But
0: it, it's it's such an illuminating thing and yeah. and, and, and it, it's, You it,
1: recognize it cuz you go, "Oh, I hey, there's a scripture just to
0: say that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, I I I think that um you know that we're, we're jumping into a different conversation yeah. in, a, in a little a, a, a lot of ways but um, I think that's such a, a powerful thing that a lot of people don't realize and are not privy to if they are don't have a upbringing or a, a a life of faith in the past
1: well, I think there's two principles um, that spring to my mind when you're talking about this whole subject one is what you just said um, there is a lot of solid positive helpful truth in the Bible in the church that some people in our society have discounted because of negative encounters they've had or seeing a few pieces of things misconstrued or misstated and then saying all of that's bad and that's not true there's some wonderful truth there I mean we uh, even discounting God which we're not going to do that I doubt Christianity would have lasted 2,000 years without there being real help for people there Mm -hmm. real strength for people there Mm -hmm. so having said that on the other side of the issue. People in the church, what I learned was when I got outside the walls of the church, there were a lot of really wonderful people doing really good work in the community. A lot of them, are believers, and a lot of them attend church, but they were doing great work in their community and great service. And all the people who are doing something for God and helping people are not necessarily in the church. And I learned how to appreciate that and be a part of that world. That's wonderful.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, it's it's always good when you can break some of those barriers yeah. and maybe some of those uh, those uh, misconceptions yeah. and things like that, because uh, there's value in both. Mm-hmm if you even if you don't have one or or what have you and uh there's definitely valuable in both so i want to jump in that's a good context i think we're on the right track uh i want to uh jump into the three c's uh the first of which is community and we've touched around a few of the topics already so but uh i want to ask you um you know I almost didn't want to start with this, but I do want to start with this because it is top of mind uh, with coronavirus yeah, and all this yeah. kind of stuff that's happening. It is such a, it's, it's you know, I'm on my phone a lot because I'm in marketing. You right. know, I, I use social media and just like anybody else, mm-hmm. use social media, uh, you know, outside of work. And, 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 you know, it's it can be such a drain, such a distraction right. and such a weight and a burden It's mm-hmm. a lot of times unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you add on, urgency and the fact that we have, you know, a a virus that's spreading and, you know, some real serious things that are happening worldwide, it just makes that burden, that toll, even heavier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to to do that, especially when you got, you know, your regular life to to deal with, uh, work and and, and relationships. So uh, when I was perusing through your website and uh, things that you uh, speak about and write about, uh, that caught my eye. One one that caught my eye is is when you get the worst news ever. Right. And when you get the worst news ever, it seems like a one finite moment. But it seems like right now in this current moment as Mm -hmm. we record this, Mm -hmm. uh, that we're constantly receiving the worst news ever. Right, right. So could you speak on what to do when somebody receives the worst news ever? I'm just interested in in how you formulated
1: that. Yeah, that was a blog that I wrote, and I try to put out a blog regularly if people want to look at it on uh, kimbeckham.net or sign up for it. I'd be glad to put them on a list and, and blog for them. But... Uh, You know, uh, I I was writing a book about, and I am still writing a book with a a friend about cancer. And she has been uh, dealing with cancer for the second go round. Mm -hmm. And we decided to write a book together. And I was writing daily devotions, uh, giving some scripture and talk about it. And she was then writing her response to those devotions as a cancer uh, Mm -hmm. survivor and and encountering cancer. And so we're in the process of doing that. And then my wife, is diagnosed with cancer and that was the reference of the worst news ever. I mean, I I don't know uh if if you 've had that kind of news, but you know I would have rather gotten the news that I had cancer than my wife had cancer. Well, let me come jump ahead and say God has been good we 've had wonderful doctors and we 're we 're cancer free at the moment, so yeah. we 're very grateful but at the time you don 't know what 's going to happen you don 't know where it 's going to go what it 's going to do, but it is a body blow, and it is the worst news ever so a couple of things out of that one. I think you've got to try to, after you absorb the body blow of this bad news, whether it's coronavirus or it's cancer, you've got to try to put it in context, and you've got to try to say, okay, oh, this is one thing that's happening, but this is not my whole life. Uh, yes, in my case, my wife does have cancer, but let's put it in context. We've also had 45 years of great health as in a married couple. She's older than that, but we've had all these years of good health as a married couple, and and then we've got great doctors and great hospitals, and we've got uh, we do. We're on the fortunate end to have insurance that we could access those things, and and we've got a, a large circle of caring family members and church members and we just had tremendous resources. So trying to put it into context and and then of course as a person of faith, this may have come as a surprise to us but it doesn't come as a surprise to God. He knew about this. So this is not something that uh, is a sh- I should just crater under. I mean, if God knew about this and if I've got all this support and all these, uh, I can absorb this and I can try to put it in context. Secondly, I think you have to try to figure out strategically how do we move forward? What can we do? And, and are there things you can do? And I think uh, in this coronavirus or whatever, there are things we can do. And anytime you can do anything, it makes a big difference. I don't know if you're, I'm so, Sometimes i uh, prone to panic attacks at night. Mm. If I'm laying, i got a lot on my plate and i got a lot of stuff going on. And I'll have this, uh, and I've written about it in my blog, and I just get so wound up I can't sleep. But I've learned a strategy. If I'll get up and just start writing something down about how I'm going to attack this problem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be a definitive plan. But just the very fact that I start writing, put something on paper and writing it down, r- ratchets down that mind racing mind Mm -hmm. and then I can go to sleep so I think when you start saying okay we can formulate some kind of plan we can move in some kind of direction and this has got context of other things around it and then I like to put it in context of um, other people perhaps I don't care who you are somebody's got it worse and yes this was the worst news ever but um, you know what Um, she has cancer other people have even worse diseases. There are worse diseases than cancer in certain, I mean, the the kind she had and at the level she had it. Yeah. You know, there are people who are paralyzed on every limb and there are so on and so forth. And so, okay, we're not them. Okay, yes, we've got cancer, but we don't have that. And we don't, and this is not, as our doctor told us, this is not necessarily a death sentence anymore. Some diseases are. They tell you, you got Lou Gehrig's disease, mm-hmm. you're going to die. It's just a matter of time. So we could be grateful that we have it better than other people. Coronavirus, yeah, this is this is shocking and frightening. But then again, I mean, compare it to some of the other things going around on the world.
0: Well, well, I mean, it's it's just a reframe. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're 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 reframing cancer, right? And then you know, uh, when you bring up coronavirus. It, it, it's like, it's like well, it could be cancer. Yeah. You know, the, that's right. Or the same even, line, line even it
1: could be Ebola, where yeah. they hadn't found a cure for yet. Right. So, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Ebola scare. Well, that was a 100% death rate. You got Ebola, you died. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they're not dying 100% of coronavirus. I mean, it, right. it is serious, I'm not saying. But the other side of that is uh, what you were saying. I think this biggest, one of the challenges of this news of Corona is, how seriously do we take it? You know, you're talking about how do I manage this? I'm I'm getting text saying, what's your viewpoint on this? Because I, people aren't sure, is this really serious? Is it not really serious? And I think that's one of the weirdest things about this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, with some of the ongoing news and some of the, as things get more intense, I think people are starting to say, well, I don't know that we can even doubt that it's serious anymore. But there's some doubt as to, do is, is it as serious as we think it is? Yes,
0: yes, yes. The unfortunate thing now is that information is weaponized. Ah, very true. And so knowing that, everybody knows that implicitly. So every everybody's on the defense Mm -hmm. of whatever information comes to us, Mm -hmm. and it's unfortunately it makes rapid response more difficult Mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah, Um, I I think Um, you know I I don't want to spend too much time on that subject of coronavirus, but you know there's definitely things that we can do. Um, I I just like the fact that you're it, contextualizing it is so important yes and when you remind people of you know the resources that they do have the the, the good things that kind of those silver linings even though it seems almost uh, it, it can be such a uh, it can seem easy you know uh, to, to do that it's it's still a real thing that we should
1: yeah. we should do I would encourage people to go back and read Franklin Roosevelt's inauguration address Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he was elected at the height of the Great Depression. And of course, the famous tagline from it is, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, Mm. which he was combating a one-quarter percent uh, unemployment rate. One-fourth of the United States was unemployed Mm. of the available workers, and more than another third of the United States was underemployed. It was the worst financial time. In fact, they thought the country might Mm. dissolve. And he, he recognized that part of the problem was because people were so afraid of the financial downturn, of course, that leads to conservative investing and conservative spending, which was feeding it. And so therefore, we had to get people to loosen up and, you know, start spending money again, start investing again and start, you know, but there's a great passage in there and I can't get it verbatim, but he talks about we need to remember, he said, Americans that our forefathers faced far more difficult dangers than this. I mean, we had a time where, you know, they crossed an ocean to a land they didn't know where they were going to go, and then there's no help that they can can come, and you had hostile uh, people probably around them sometimes, Mm -hmm. and you had disease and plague and all these things, but our forefront, you and my forefathers, they worked through these things and had the courage to go out. Think of the Americans who crossed the United States and covered wagons. I mean, they were never going back to where they come. It would be a lifetime. Right. And they struck out to do that. One of my favorite books is Undaunted Courage. And it's the story of um, the guys who first... And I can't get their names to come up. Clark, Lewis and Clark, mm-hmm. as they crossed and explored. But it, it's called Undaunted Courage because they were literally going to where no man had ever been before. And, and yet they did it. And they came back. So if they can do that... If we have a CDC, if we have a great health care program, if we have all these people, we don't need to be panicking over a virus. Well said.
0: I think it's well said. (laughs) Strong calm, right? Strong
1: calm. Strong calm. Uh, Excellent.
0: Excellent. I want, I want to ask you kind of a fun question about right. communication. Just a, a more direct question and we'll get back into kind of your wheelhouse of, of speaking. Um, uh, communication to you. Like what what is strong communication to you?
1: Um... That's a good question. Here, eh? yeah. uh, I, th- I was just telling someone today. We were talking about how difficult communication is. You know, communication is a. You got to have three components for a successful communication. You got to have a sender. You got to have a, uh, a, a method of communication. You have to have a receiver. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mass communication. If you, the sender might be a radio tower, right. the, uh, and when there's someone with a microphone, they they're talking on the radio. Then they got a radio tower. It's distributing the message. But then somebody's got to have a radio to receive it. Okay, so the breakdown can occur on any level. So you and I are trying to communicate. I'm a sender right now. I'm trying to send you my thoughts about communication, my tool of communication is speech. So I'm trying to give this speech. But you're the receiver. So on your end, you've got to receive it. First of all, you've got to have the uh, auditory ability, the the ears to mm-hmm. hear it. But there's much more difficulty than that. You've got to be able to, to understand the nuances and meanings of what I'm saying. And I have to, as I'm talking to you, I have to understand that I can't just throw something out there and assume you've got it. In fact, one of my favorite things to teach people when I talk about public speaking is the biggest mistake people make about public speaking is they think that it's one-way communication. You've got a speaker at a lectern and they're communicating, but that's not true. Every good speaker understands this two-way communication. They A good speaker is constantly reading the feedback from that audience. Yeah. They're reading their eyes. They're reading their body movement. They're reading whether or not they're playing on their phone and they re- recognize immediately if they're losing that audience they have to do something different they have to change tone they have to move to the right they got to change subject they've got to do something so communication is so difficult because there's many difficult factors involved And then you add into the fact that something like, what is it, only like 17% of all communication is verbal and the rest of it's nonverbal. Right, right. And here we are having a podcast that people can't see all (laughs) all these wonderful gestures I'm making. They can't see them. Yes,
0: yes. That's so excellent. And I think that, you know, as... I love that breakdown that you provided, because I remember in my mass communications class I took in college, uh, that's like the first chapter. Yes, it is. um, You you can take it for granted. But to me, I'm like, I just need to repeat that a couple more times and then recontextualize it to different things. And when you know that, when you pay attention to Mm -hmm. those nuances of like cinder receiver method mm-hmm. right. sender receiver method right. and then paying attention to what's happening right. you can apply that to so many different things right. and really if you just spend that time to just gestate in there and say okay what am i trying to do who's the sender who's the receiver what's the
1: method what's the reaction are they getting this and, are they getting, and like, if they're you not you can get
0: so much out of that
1: i got to stop and right. recalibrate i can't and this is where people get into trouble they say something and they make an assumption that the other person is under them. Well, it's so easy to make an assumption, and people, uh, they don't always understand. I, I've, I've had many problems in that in life where I say one thing, or, or one time my, my son-in-law had got a new car, brand new car. So he comes to show it to us, mm-hmm. and he we get in the car, and he says, you want to drive I say, yeah. So I'm driving the car, and we come back up to the house, and my other son-in-law is standing out there. It was Thanksgiving, and he says to me, my son-in-law Charlie says, don't roll down the window. Well, okay, I heard him. I heard him. My auditory. I heard that. But I assumed he meant, I don't, I want to aggravate Joel. I just had give Joel a hard time because they like to tease each other. So I thought he's just joking around. So I started to roll down the window. And he says louder, don't roll down the window. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard him. But again, I made that assumption that this is what he meant. And I by the time my finger is on the power button, he screams at me, don't roll down the window, but but too late, the window's coming down. And then he says to me, he says... "Ah." I just had the windows tinted, and they said, do not roll them down for over 48 hours, or it will ruin it. And then he looks at me, and he goes, you don't listen very well, do you? (laughs) But I made an assumption about what I thought he meant. So how many times are we listening to a speaker, or we're trying to communicate with a loved one, and they say something, and we make an assumption out of what they meant, rather than giving them the, the, the privilege of you saying, well, wait a minute, what I'm hearing you say is this. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Right. And then they can say, well, no, that's not what I meant at all right. Oh, okay, now we are communicating. Yes, yes, love it, love it. Yes,
0: you know what they say about assumptions, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm sure you do. (laughs) I've lived it. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: Um, Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for that. And uh, one thing that's really interesting uh, recently, I had Mandy Glasscock of Dapper uh, does does hair on the podcast, and um, I did a time lapse of our conversation, and there was no sound in the video, but Mm. it was you know it just made it into like a 30 second an hour long thing into a 30 second video, and it was so amazing to see how much hand gestures and stuff that we use throughout our entire Mm -hmm. uh, conversation it seems crazy when you look at it in that quick times frame with no sound Uh, but you you, we just don't realize how much we use that nonverbal. we do I want to jump into community okay I want to jump into community Uh, you already touched on you know some work with AZAWay, Chamber of Commerce that kind of thing Uh, we'll definitely touch into that but first I want to ask the famous Strong Calm Podcast question yeah that's a a good
1: question do you like this question? I like it I I, thought about it I've I've,
0: I've, uh, I've bounced between telling you know giving somebody the prep and and letting them think about it before coming in and surprising and springing yeah, on people yeah. but the question is the village question um imagine you're creating a village and you have four signs to use to draw people in and create a community mm-hmm. from scratch mm-hmm. uh coronavirus just wipes everybody out and you got to bring everybody back right, together right, for instance bring them back. Right. um uh, god forbid right uh but what four values or principles would you put on those signs to uh, attract that
1: community and bring them together? For me... it, one, there is that first value is actually what you're trying to build, and that is community. I think the value is that's a value. We, if you're going to come and be a part of here, we're going to be a community. We're going to care for each other. We're going to take care of each other. I know, as you mentioned your background in as a youth pastor, you know, community. The Greek word is ko- konania, which means to be bound together in, in community. Uh-huh. So we, we, I think for me, and I, I've always been very strong that way. I just believe we are better together than we are as individualists. And so community is one value. Another value, uh, maybe surprising to go along with that, is individuality, because one of my strongest values is personal responsibility. And I I just don't believe there's any success in any area of your life without you taking responsibility for what's happening to you. You know. Um, say the coronavirus, you know, we can say, well, I'm not responsible as a worldwide virus. Well, you can wash your hands and you can do this and you can do that and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. We, we, but the worst thing is, is in a lot of areas of our life, we want to blame somebody else for what's happening to us. And the Even if other people contribute for what's happening to us, there's no real ability to move forward as long as you're blaming other people because you're giving all the power to them. Mm -hmm. But when you say about any area of your life, education, finance, relationship, or whatever, I am responsible, then now, hey, I can do something about this. I'm responsible and I'll do what I can do. So individual responsibility, community, for me, it would be the value of faith because I do believe um, that... There, I am a person of faith. But even if you're not a person that believes in divine faith, I believe in the power of faith for faith's sake. Mm. I believe that when we think the right things and we have the right hopes, it empowers us more than the negativity. You know, they say about optimists and pessimists that uh, pessimists are actually, their worldview is more correct than optimists. But optimists' lives are happier. <laughs> All right. So, I'd rather be an optimist. You yeah. know, yeah, maybe, maybe sometimes the pessimists are more correct in their worldview. But I believe you have to have faith. I have you have to have faith in people. You have to have faith in God. You have to have faith in yourself. So you know I'm not sure if I come up with four there but those would be the top three I would I would say we definitely have to have community we have to have personal responsibility and individualization and then you have to have faith
0: love it such great powerful principles there
1: they've helped me strong community indeed
0: uh, let's let's jump to a, a little bit more of that you know in a practical sense um, with your work at A's way mm-hmm. leadership Tyler ethics council uh, those are three that we could probably dive a lot of time into but um tell me about AZAWAY and you know people that may may not know and uh the work they do and and maybe just touch on you know how it's impacted your life or if you could tell a story about how you know well i tell you how the, i got involved
1: yeah you know and when i used to be helping them with development my my tag speech would be you know is that they helped uh, with children in crisis, and they do. They take mostly they take wards of the state, and they help them. Now they they what most people don't know about azaway is that azaway is not just a children's home. In fact, that's the smallest component of what they do. They 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 only have right now in their children's home, I think, fourteen boys that actually live on campus. The largest part of what they do is uh, foster care. They recruit train and coordinate foster parents uh, for children because this is what the state likes. The mm-hmm. state prefers children to be in foster care as opposed to be in residential treatment. So they have that component and that's the largest part of what they do. Okay. But they also have a uh, uh, alcohol and abuse, uh, home. And so they deal with substance abuse program there. And so they have that environment too. So they have several different entities going on, but, uh, it's a tough environment. And I think it's a hard environment, you know, people would say, but you're, you're dealing, you know, you're dealing with kids in crisis. You're dealing with kids who, uh, m- many of them have been abused in some form or another, um, All of them have been treated less than they should be. Some of them are simply homeless. And as a result of that, you've got some very difficult children to deal with. And they have to have some place to go. They have to have some place to take care of them. And so A's provides that community for them. Excellent.
0: And... um what is uh, what what is something that you like what, what is your contribution you touched on it earlier but what is your contribution when you're when you're there like what what are some things that you do or some things that others can
1: well, i'm not do? doing that now oh right yeah okay. but, but when i was helping as the development director Got i was it. helping them because and this is still true Got it. The, the state only provides something like seven dollars and ninety cents a day to help these mm-hmm. children. Well, the actual cost of taking care of these children is about $3 more. Right. You're raising the yeah, money. So okay, you, gotcha. We're raising the money. Got so, it, got it, got And it. plus, you, the state will not give you money to build cabins mm-hmm. to buy property, et cetera, et cetera. So all, of, all those kind of things have to be done with donated money. So the money, for instance, a uh, wonderful organization in Tyler Delick Refinery, wonderful organization, donated some money from their golf tournament one year mm-hmm. and built a beautiful baseball field for these boys. Well, the state will not give you money to build a baseball field. They, and they First of all, they can't even give you enough money to take care of the kids. So, right. so these are what the development an officer does when you're you're out there telling this story communicating to people this is what's happening out here and here's how you can be involved yeah and so that's yeah. what we did
0: powerful powerful uh
1: what a way to use communication too. well yeah and and i think obviously uh, ministers who have a background in communication and have a background in uh helping the helping industries, if you want to call it that, we understand about helping people. Uh, we're natural. All I think all ministers are natural fit for development work, whether mm-hmm. they're good at it or not, but they, they understand the components of it. Right. And it's a people business. Excellent.
0: Um, I'm curious about your seat on the board of the Chamber of Commerce.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I had a pastor friend uh, that was... He was the first to make me think that way. His name is Jerry. um, I can't think of his last name, Jerry. It'll come to me while we're talking. But he... Uh, was in Odessa, mm-hmm. and he was doing this long before I started, and he was the chaplain for their Odessa Permian high school football team, which I don't know if you know Odessa Permian, but there were the powerhouse football teams and everything in Odessa goes operates around that football team, and plus he was uh, uh, on the Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. So when I found out what he was doing, I thought that was interesting, but in in my training, a lot of, we weren't really... Uh, encouraged to get it that involved in the city you know but uh he was doing it and I thought well, I could see the relationships he's building and because of my experiences through leadership Tyler and the people I'd met and got to know and through even working as a development officer at Away I'd met a lot of people and I just thought you know I, I want to be involved I want to I want to be a part of what's going on and, and I'll say this and I, to all the people I've worked with on the chamber Tyler is, is a very faith friendly community yeah. uh, and you know some maybe some communities, I as a pastor, might not feel as comfortable being on the Chamber of Commerce. But Tyler is very faith friendly. Now, it's not about that. I mean, it's a chamber of commerce, but they, they don't, uh, they're, they're faith friendly. And so they're never putting somebody down and they're, they're never, and most of the things open and end in, you know, open in prayer. And, you know, I feel very comfortable with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about, you know, your, your work on the chamber. Uh, how does that, um, how does the board interact? I, I'm really un, un, educated in yeah. how the board influences the chamber and, and, and things like that. Well, what, the, What does that work like? The
1: chamber, is a group of uh, citizens who volunteer their time because you don't get paid to do this mm-hmm. to go and meet and you they set up committees about different areas of the city's uh, business and needs. For mm-hmm. instance, there's a technology committee, there's right. an oil and gas committee, there's a veterans affairs committee, there's a senior citizens committee. I happen to be on the aviation committee and a few other things like that. Uh, so these committees, uh, then all these people try to, okay, how can we help those industries how can we be supportive and then how can we all work together so you got all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds you got bankers you got lawyers you got small business owners you got people of faith like myself uh, you got uh, city employees they're all in this chamber which you have to get elected to but there every month when you meet you hear a speaker who will talk about something for instance we just heard from the census uh, mm. about because you know that's a big deal going, going on, on now yeah. So they were trying to tell us how can we as business owners and pastors and a, help get the work done that the census has got to get done. So that's a thing we did one on health care. So it's an information sharing thing, and it's a uh, trying to provide support to these industries in the community. Got it.
0: Do you? Uh what, what is what is something about this East Texas community
1: and and, and Tyler
0: specifically that you're most excited about? Oh, okay.
1: I, I can't tell you. I've been in uh, two different communities other than Tyler. I was raised in Dallas, uh, in North Dallas. Of course, I was too young to really pay any attention, so I don't know really anything that was going on yeah. at the time. And then I had spent 10 years in a small town uh, northeast of Denton. And I wasn't involved in the community that, on that kind of chamber kind of stuff like that at all. But when I came to Tyler, I immediately recognized that this city is it's first class. I mean, the roads are first class. The buildings are first class. Even the people, they seem to cut above than some of the other places I've been. Although I had wonderful friends and great people. And probably, I don't want them to think I don't think they're first class. Right. They were first class. But <laughs> as just far the as they'll take. Out, yeah, right? yeah well, let's clip that. But, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just. Thing, they just seem like they raised to a higher notch here. Mm. And when I got involved, what I realized was, uh, Aaron, that the reason Tyler is so, uh, we have this, you know, very low debt. We have this great roads. We have these great universities is because a lot of people work really hard Um, for free to make this happen, whether they're serving in the city council, whether they're on the chamber of commerce. What I found out was that that this public service aspect of being willing to give my time uh, to get out there and and to be a part of all these different organizations, not me personally, but all these people in the city that are doing this. Mm -hmm. I realized that really for a lot of years I'd been kind of a slacker. i have been soaking up all the blessings of being in Tyler, but other than paying my taxes, I hadn't done anything to help this city, mm-hmm. and when I got involved in leadership Tyler and got it, see, I began to realize how much people do uh, to make these things happen, and I may be very proud to be a part of it. And uh, we're recognized as one of the most successful chamber of commerce's in the nation, not just the state, but in the nation, mm-hmm. because of the willingness of people to serve, and the can-do attitude. That's what I like about the title. We have a can-do attitude. Let's, let's figure out how to solve this problem.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's so much um, enthusiasm for our community, and that's why it's grown to... I mean, I've been here 10 years, so... <laughs> Uh, I've been able to see some things that have grown and I haven't been involved directly or or what have you but over time I've been able to build great relationships with individuals who have been directly involved or what have you and it's amazing when you have that community of people together Mm -hmm. and you have enough people that are bought in to the same overall mission how fast things can can move and change for the better.
1: I don't know what it's like in other communities. I, I would think it would be in, very difficult to be on the chamber in a community that has really low uh, trust and mm-hmm. really low support. Uh, that would be very difficult. But we have great citizens in this city and great rapport. I mean, we got our problems. Of course we do. But people are willing to work on them. They're willing to do things. And that's I'm so excited about. It. I don't want to live anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, to wrap up a little bit i want to jump into the
0: company piece here and um i i think at this point i'm curious to to hear your perspective on i i I want to know your perspective on this concept of like uh business and servitude Mm -hmm. uh building building something that might be for profit uh, you know, having a successful kind of monetary um, career or, mm-hmm. or, or business, but also have this piece that is about that free work—that stuff that you don't have to do, but you do just because. Yeah, because it's important. I, I just want to know your your take on that, and like how um, maybe businesses can
1: cultivate that and why it's important. You know, some of the best teachers I've heard on success talk about not thinking about the money but being passionate about your your vision and you know not to give any commendation because I don't know them as a person, but Mark Zuckerberg didn't create Facebook to make money. He created Facebook because he was passionate about communication. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, he's made a ton of money. Jeff Bezos, you know, so on and so forth. So the best, I think the best business people are people who are passionate about what they're doing. Maybe the task itself. You know, I, I want to be able to do this better than anybody else has done it. I want to get this pizza to your door faster, or I want to build the best healthcare system I can build. But they're passionate about the task. The money follows when you're passionate. The second thing is, when I do coaching and training for businesses, uh, you know, one of the first speeches I wrote to give to a chamber of commerce was uh, how to help your employees, how to get your employees to work like volunteers. Because... I said, you know, I have never run a business, but I have run churches for 30, 40 years, and we're an entire volunteer organization. You know, it, 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 everything that you see on that 30 acres of property and $5 million of plant and so on and so forth and the 500 people that be there this Sunday, it's all done by volunteers. It could go away in six weeks if people stop giving and stop showing. It's all volunteer. Mm-hmm. So we have to get good at training, teaching, and using volunteers. Well, I believe that if you own a business, unless your employees are working like uh, a volunteer, they're probably not helping you because... In business, what's the number one success module? Everybody talks about it today. It is customer service. Mm-hmm. All right? So it's not until your employee goes above and beyond what is required that they make you any money. If they only do what you're requiring them to do, you're not going to be able to compete against your competitor because the competitors are doing that so it's only when your employee goes above and beyond well when do people go above and beyond it's when they bought into the vision of the company when they bought into the idea of the company and they're treated like uh important people and stockholders and what's going on then they will extend themselves and when they extend themselves they're working like a volunteer and when they are working like a volunteer they're going to make you some money
0: i love that that's a gym. That, that is that is strong. Come again. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I knew when I asked you, you'd have a good answer. So that's
1: what... <laughs> well. You know, I'll give you an example if we got time. Do it. I was at a when these first opened up uh, last five years ago, and not maybe maybe it's been around longer. But I've gone to a been part of the same bank for many years. But they opened branch banking. You know, and mm-hmm. so they had a branch in my uh, grocery store. So I needed to do something, and I go in and. <laughs> casting a check or something, and then I needed to sign a document, so I asked the teller behind the counter, I said, can I sign this document? And she said, oh no, I'm sorry, you have to do that at the main branch. I'm okay with that. And that's the rule. That's the rule. And I said, okay. And I turned to the And she said, wait a minute, Mr. Beckham. And she says, wait just a second. She picks up the phone. She calls this number. She said, I have one of our customers here, Mr. Beckham. He needs to sign this document. Can you have that document set out and waiting for him when he's coming? Mr. Beckham, when can you come? I can go right now. How long will it take you? About 15? He'll be there in 15 minutes. Will you meet Mr. Beckham and get him to sign this? And she said, yes, I will. And he said, she put that phone out. She said, they'll be waiting for you. Have that document ready for have a nice day, Mr. Beckham. Wow. I walked out of that bank and well, first of all, I said, What's your name? <laughs> and I wrote down her name and I told her, I said, This is amazing customer service. You made me feel valued. You didn't have to do that. I was willing to walk the rule's the rule. I was but you made me feel important. You set up my next step. And I called her branch manager and who happens to be a personal friend, and I said this girl's making you money. You need to give her a raise. You need to do more with her.
0: That's great. What a great example, too.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Going above and beyond. Excellent. And you got to work like a volunteer. So are your people buying into your vision? Are your people excited about what you're trying to do? Mm-hmm. Do they feel valued? Are you listening to them? Are you drawing the best out of them? Or are you just trying to you know, get the most out of you, you can and kind of taking them for granted? If you're going to do that, then you're not going to really be competitive in the long run
0: how would you um, how, how do you impart that vision how do you how do you build that vision that's bigger than because um, I, uh, I I I produce a podcast for work called Trucking for Millennials so I think about generations right yeah. uh, quite a lot generational differences and a lot of what is spoken about our generation mm-hmm. is uh, that w- that's what we need we we crave a business that has a bigger mission and mm-hmm. a bigger vision mm-hmm. that than, than just whatever we're doing in a given day right. Right. you know I can get really motivated about uh, serving you a sandwich if I think that there's something behind that sandwich right, right? right. so how do you impart that for those that that are are searching for that that greater thing to
1: perhaps if it's retain employees uh, hire new ones. Well, you definitely want to retain them because I think the average cost of replacing an employee is thirty seven thousand dollars. Can you yeah. help
0: save somebody thirty seven thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You know, well, of course, there's a lot of variables. It's a very right. complicated, and there's hundreds of people, thousands of people writing about this and talking sure, about it. Sure. So it's it is. It's like all leadership is an art and not a science. We can give you some general principles, but there's an art to it, and Mm -hmm. it's how you work your way through it. But I think it starts with understanding what you just said. You gave the clue when you said millennials want this. Well, here's that's the clue. The clue is it's not hard to get people to do what they already want to do. Hmm. motivation that's what motivation is it's not hard to motivate somebody to do what they already want to do it's very hard to motivate people to do something they don't want to do so my key as a, a owner employer is to say what motivates Aaron well Aaron gets motivated when he thinks he's making a difference can i show him how him making this sandwich is going to make a difference and can i if i can show him how it's making a difference then by what he's already said that's going to motivate him that's a, that's a big gym i love so it. so you start with Strong. You, who are they Yes. not who are we now the easy if you're going to turn over a lot of people and you have a business where you can do that okay who are we we are this big entity and we've got this amount of money and if you walk out tomorrow we'll replace you tomorrow but most that's not really a good model mm-hmm. you know you want to hold on to people for a long time so who are they what do they want and how can i within reason within reason give them what they're looking for and you can't always give this and this is where the millennials and any worker has Mm -hmm. to go okay look you know uh, this is a business and they've got to have a bottom line they can't just do what I want to do so I'm going to have to know that. but the very fact that I'm trying to meet you in the middle Yeah, the old adage is people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, and your workers aren't going to work for you if you don't care about them. You got to care about them. You know? Do you know them? Uh, Tim Blanchard made it famous years ago in his book Management by Walking Around. You just get out and get amongst the people. In the church world, we say spend the whole week praying, reading your Bible, studying, and then go out there on Sunday and walk slow among the people Mm. because you got to be among the people. You got to know. You got to know.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's strong call.
1: Communication, community building.
0: Yeah. Strong company. Yeah, Hello. Yeah, that's right. All yeah,
1: right. it's fun stuff. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you had some fun.
1: I did have fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, being with Thank you. me today. And with everybody else, I think there's a, a lot that can be learned from this
1: episode. Well, I hope so. And, and, and be happy to come back some other time and we'll talk some more.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, a plug for you. Thank you. East Texas Leadership Summit. Yes. You're going to be a speaker today. I'm going to be one
1: of the speakers. And, and I'm doing a training. Next week in Longview, for um, uh, it's being held at the golf course out there. On, the, uh, I'll have to look into that, but it's in. Kempis, uh, right? Yeah, Kempis Golf Course. So yeah. I'm, I'm speaking with uh, Scott Brown over there. Scott then, uh, Brown? Yeah, you know Scott Brown. I do know Scott. Yeah. He uh, used to uh, be the
0: preacher at the Baptist Church in Edgewood. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went to high school with his.
1: Uh, uh, with his daughter yeah small world so yeah so we're going to do an event over there and then of course the cor- I teach some courses every year the leadership training courses they they begin in December I'm also next week the uh, Better Business Bureau is having their annual luncheon um, about 400 people going to be at that and I'm going to be on a panel with Phil Burks and some other guys talking about longevity and, and how to keep your business going for a long time and how to do that so yeah people can come out there
0: awesome awesome thank you Kim thank you All right. Thank y'all for uh, listening. I know y'all got smarter just just being there. So y'all take care. And that's it. Yeah, that's fun.